Hello, and welcome to another White Horse Media presentation. White Horse Media presents Amazing Discoveries with international speaker and best-selling author Steve Wolberg. Our goal is to continue to produce life-changing and biblically-based presentations. We hope you enjoy this series. At the end of this CD, you'll receive more information on this ministry and how you can obtain some additional resources. In today's program, Steve will examine what the Bible says about modern prophets. Now, here's Steve. Good evening, everyone. I held a seminar once in New Zealand, and a man walked up to me, and he said, I'm a prophet, and I have a message for you from God. Now, how do you tell whether people like that really do have a gift from above or whether it's from beneath? Tonight, we're going to find out as we study our very powerful subject called Modern Prophets. Let's open our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 10, our opening text. Deuteronomy 34, verse 10. It's good to see so many of you come out tonight. I'm so thankful you've been sticking with me night after night. We've got a, an excellent, very interesting subject this evening that has a lot of surprises as we dig down deep. Let's begin with prayer as we always do. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear God, Heavenly Father, we come together today in the name of Jesus and we pray for your blessing as we study this subject. May the Holy Spirit be poured out upon us all and help us to discern the difference between prophets of God and prophets that come from the wrong side. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Modern prophets. People today are looking for guidance. And yet many times they're going to the wrong places, aren't they? They're going to palm readers, Ouija boards, psychics. Uh, I heard about a man once and he called a psychic hotline. He was promised that they could tell him his future. So he called up and the lady answered on the other end and she said, can I please have your credit card number? And the man thought to himself and then he said, if you're psychic, you're supposed to know that. <laughs> and he didn't stick around very long to listen to what that person had to say. Prophets, gifts, inspiration, you know, how do we know whether people who claim to have these kind of gifts are from, are from God or not? Uh, the Lord has a different way of guiding his people than going to psychics or palm readers or looking into crystal balls. Here's a scripture on the screen, Amos chapter 3, verse 7. The Bible says that God reveals his secrets to his servants. And who are his servants in this passage? His servants, the prophets. In Old Testament times, God spoke to people, not through witches and warlocks and psychics, but he spoke through people called prophets. Those were people that God chose and he spoke through them to lead his people. If you look at Deuteronomy 34, verse 10, the Bible talks about a man named Moses. And the scripture says, there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Now, this may surprise you, you know, when most people think of Moses, they envision in their mind Charlton Heston coming down off the mountain, you know, holding the tables of stone with his hair turned white. And when people think of Moses, they think of, of the law, the tables of the law. And yet, according to this verse, Moses was also a prophet of God. Do you see that? Right there. In fact, the Bible says here that there was no prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. So here you have a picture of Moses with the law, and yet we just read that Moses was a prophet. Now, this concept, I want you to remember this because we're going to come back to this, the law and the prophet they both go together. We find this over and over and over again in Scripture. It talks about the law and the prophets, the law and the prophets. And we're going to continue to find out more about this. Now let's go to the New Testament. Let's go to the New Testament. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 21. 
Prophets were in the Old Testament and prophets were in the New Testament. Acts chapter 21, and we're going to read verse 8 and 9 in just a few moments. But before we get to that text, let me talk about some other prophets in the New Testament. The first one was John. John the Baptist was a prophet. Jesus said this specifically in Matthew 11, verse 9. He said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? Did you go to see a prophet? And then he said, yes, I tell you, John was a prophet. And then he said he was even more than a prophet. And I think the reason why Jesus said John was more than a prophet was because his ministry was the fulfillment of prophecy. Isaiah predicted that someone would come to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And John fulfilled that prediction. So John was one example. Here's another passage on the screen before we look at the book of Acts. This is from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. And this is talking about how God has given gifts to the church, one of which is the gift of prophecy. Ephesians 4.11, he gave some, when Jesus went to heaven, he gave some to be apostles, he gave some to be, and what's that next word there? Prophets. So prophets is one of the gifts that Jesus has given to his New Testament church. We find that very clear. And he gave some to be evangelists. I feel deeply inside of me that God has called me to be an evangelist, to be a public teacher, a public preacher of the word, and I'm trying the best I can to be faithful to my calling. I've never considered myself to be a prophet, but evangelist, I'm doing the best I can. But these are different gifts that God has given to the church. And it goes on and says, some pastors, some teachers for the perfecting of the saints. God has put these gifts in the church, in the body of Christ, to develop believers, to perfect their characters, to prepare them more fully for the coming of Jesus Christ. This is the purpose of the gifts. Now, if you look at Acts chapter 21, it tells us that the Lord not only gives these different gifts to men, but he also gives them to women. If you look at the eighth verse, 21.8 says, The next day we that were of Paul's company departed and we came to Caesarea. We entered into the house of a man named Philip. And what gift did Philip have here? Philip was an evangelist. This was a gift God gave to the church, and he still does. Does God still give this gift to the church? He certainly does. So, okay, so we have evangelist, and then it says in verse 9, this same man, referring to Philip, he also had four daughters, four virgin daughters, and what gift did God give to them? Right, the Bible says that they did prophesy. So the Lord is no respecter of persons. There are many examples in the Bible of God giving various gifts to both men and women. In the Old Testament, Miriam was a prophetess. In the book of Luke, I believe it's chapter 1, Anna was a prophetess. In Acts chapter 2, verse 17, 16 and 17, Peter says, The Spirit of God will be poured out upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. So God does give this gift to both men and to women. Now, if you go down to verse 10, verse 10 is a a rather interesting verse. It mentions a man that most people have never heard of. Verse 10 says, We tarried there many days, and there came down from Judea, he came down a certain prophet, and what was his name? His name was Agabus. Right, now, I'm sure you're all familiar with Agabus, right? If I were to ask you to open your Bibles to Agabus chapter 1, verse 5, guess what? You'd be looking for a long, long time. Because there is no Agabus in, as far as a book in the Bible. There's no first Agabus, second Agabus. And yet, according to this passage, there was a real prophet in the New Testament whose name was Agabus. Correct? It's right there. And as you continue to read about him, it talks about how the Holy Spirit spoke through him 
to the Apostle Paul and gave him certain messages about things that were going to happen to him in the days ahead. And so here we have an example of an unknown prophet, and we also see that God does give these gifts to both men and women. This is very, very clear. Now, now that we've established that there are prophets in the Old Testament, there are prophets in the New Testament, this is one of the gifts that God has given to the church. And we know at least the gift of evangelism is still here. God still gives people that gift. This brings up a question. Uh, does that mean that anybody who happens to come along, who happens to come up to you or to come up to me and say, I have a gift from God, I'm a prophet, I have a message to you, for you from the Lord, does that necessarily mean that they do? What if they do a miracle before you? What if they perform some miraculous sign? Does that prove they're a prophet of God? Not at all. In fact, uh, Jesus talked about false prophets. He said, beware of false prophets. And he said, they will show great signs and wonders to deceive, even if possible, the elect. So the New Testament talks about true prophets and false prophets. So if somebody comes along and tells you he's got a, a gift of prophecy and he says certain things, you know, how do we know whether this gift is really from the Lord or whether it's a counterfeit gift from the devil? Is this an important question? How do we discern? Because as we get closer to the coming of Jesus, you know, we're going to see more and more of these kind of manifestations. And we've got to be discerning to decide, you know, is this from God or is it not from God? There are true gifts and there are counterfeit gifts, are there not? Now, how do we know? Let's go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8, the 20th verse. This verse has really become a model to me to help me to discern whether the claims of people who come to me, and it's not just been in New Zealand, there, there have been other people who have come to me and told me that they have messages for me from the Lord. And you know, I don't just discount that right away and say impossible. But neither do I say, okay, tell me what it is and I'll do it, whatever you say. I don't do either one of those things. I have to weigh it out. And the way I weigh it out is based upon this verse. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20. This is a very, very important passage. Isaiah 8:20. The scripture says here, to the law, this is referring to the law of God, especially the Ten Commandments, and to the testimony, and it's talking about the testimony of the prophets. God has given prophets to give their testimonies, and he's given the law to give its testimony. To the law and to the testimony, if they, and that they refers to people who come and claim to be supernaturally led from above, if they speak, what they speak, not necessarily what they do, and they might show miracles, but if they speak not according to this, and what's that next, what's that next little word? It's word. If they speak not according to this word, and what word is this word? It's this word, it's the Bible. To the law of God and to the testimony of the previous prophets, if people speak, if they teach, and it's not according to this word, the Bible says it is because there is no light in them. Do you see that? And so this tells me that anybody that comes along and claims to have a gift of prophecy or a special, a special anointing from the Lord, if, they, if what they say, what they teach, doesn't line up with the law and with the testimony of Scripture, then I can know that they may have, they may generate a lot of heat, but there's no light, no light from God that will come, that is coming through them. Did you see that? Now, of course, if we don't know our Bibles, if we don't know the law, and if we don't know the testimony, then it's going to be very difficult for us to discern, correct? 
That's why it's so important that we know our Bibles. As we're getting closer to the end, we're going to be seeing more and more of these counterfeit manifestations of prophecy, false prophets like Jesus warned us about over and over again in Matthew 24. And we have to be discerning, we have to know our Bibles, and then we have to compare what they say with what is here. And if, they do, if what they say doesn't line up with this book, they may be handsome or beautiful, they may say a lot of flowery things, they may even do miracles, but we can know for sure, beyond shadow of a doubt, that there is no genuine light from God that is coming through them because what they're saying doesn't line up with the word of the Lord. Are you with me? That is the truth of the Bible. And there are other passages that say the same thing. Now let's go to the book of Revelation. We're about to make some amazing discoveries. We're going to continue on studying things that we studied about last night. Revelation chapter 11, 1119. Revelation 1119. And we're going to see some absolutely astonishing things that are right here in the Bible. Amazing discoveries. I like that name, amazing discoveries. Revelation 11 verse 19. The scripture says, and the temple of God was opened in heaven. God has a temple up there. That's where Jesus is right now as our great high priest. We've studied about this. The temple of God was opened in heaven and there was, notice that next word, seen. There was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. And there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and a great hail. In other words, God is really trying to get our attention focused on this text. Now, when the Bible says here, the temple of God was opened in heaven, there was seen the ark. What's inside the ark? The Ten Commandments, right. We've been studying about this in the seminar. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 5 says, the tables of stone were placed inside the ark. So it's very clear, and we've already studied about this. Now, this is interesting. Take a close look at this. Look at that text there. The temple was, of God was opened, and there was seen. Now, if John would have said, I saw the ark, what would that imply? He's the one that saw it only. Many times in the book of Revelation, John will say, I saw, I heard, I fell down. The angel said to me, you know, one on one. But in this verse, that little word is seen. And that word is very significant. The temple of God was opened in heaven and there was seen the ark. And inside the ark is the law. Now, what's the difference between I saw the ark and there was seen? Seen implies something else, doesn't it? implies that other people see it, doesn't it? Implies that different people see it. And as you're looking at this slide, you're seeing the ark, aren't you? By faith, and as you just look at the slide and look at the Bible. Now, let's just imagine that a whole group of people study the Bible, realize there's a temple up there by faith, and they see the ark, and they realize that inside the ark is the Ten Commandments. What do you think they might start doing down here? That's right, they might start keeping them. Okay, now that's the last verse in chapter 11. Look at the last verse of chapter 12. Revelation 12, verse 17. Last verse of chapter 12. And this is really a development of prophecy. One text leads to the next text and it's describing a development upon this earth. Verse 17 says the dragon, referring to the devil, was wroth or wrathful. He was angry with the woman, which, which refers to God's church. And he went to make war. He's, he's angry and he's at war with the remnant. And this expression, the remnant, refers to a final group of people down at the end. And it says, the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. 
So follow the thought. If a group of people study prophecy and see the ark by faith and realize the law is there, then the next natural development is that people on earth would start keeping those commandments. And that's what the prophecy is revealing. Next step, people start keeping the law. Now, if we see the ark, realize there's a law there and start keeping it, and then we go out into the world, don't you think God would give us something to say to the world about what we've seen? And he has. Let's turn the page to chapter 14. And this development continues. Revelation 14, verses 6 through 12, what happens here is we have a message of three angels. Three angels. Chapter 14, verse 6 says, I saw another angel. And the angel, that word means messenger, and it refers to people who give a message. He's flying in the midst of heaven, center stage having the everlasting gospel, the gospel of Jesus, to preach to them that dwell upon the earth, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. So this is a worldwide message. And he says with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. We're in a judgment time right now. People are making life and death decisions. And worship him, worship the creator that made heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of waters. That's the first angel. And we've looked at this on the Tower of Truth over there. You can see that. And then verse 8 says, there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all the nations, the whole world, drunk with the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink the wine of the wrath of God. In other words, those that drink the wine of Babylon will ultimately drink the wine of God's wrath if they continue to do this, which is poured out without mixture, which means no mercy finally at the end into the cup of his indignation and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb and the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever. This is an awesome warning. And they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receives the mark of his name. And then verse 12 says, here is the patience of the saints. This is the safety zone. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus which is similar to the statement about the remnant that would be keeping the commandments. Do you see that? Same group. Now, what's happening here is there is a line of thought taking place. People see the ark, they see the law, they start keeping it down here, and then God gives them a message to give to the world about the creator, about the judgment, about the fall of Babylon, about the beast, the image, the mark, and the importance of keeping all the Ten Commandments and following Jesus Christ. This is a, a special end time message. And this message takes place right before the coming of the Lord. If you go down to verse 14, right after verse 12, verse 12 says, I looked and behold a white cloud, John saw it coming. And upon the cloud one sat like the son of man having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. So what's happening here is three angels give their messages and then right after the three angels do this to the whole world, the next event is the coming of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? It's right there in the Bible. Now let me illustrate something for you through this next slide. I wanna show you something very, very important. I've done a lot of study on this. Many times, you know, people come to this seminar and they learn about the three angels and they tell me, they say, Brother Steve, I've never heard about the three angels in my life. This is a whole new thing to me. How many of you have just heard about the three angels in this seminar? Let me see your hands. Okay, I see a, quite a few hands, it's brand new. 
And sometimes people wonder, you know, is this, how important really is this, these three angels' messages? This whole idea of a remnant people preaching the three angels' messages to the whole world at the end of time, that this really is the very center of what God is doing at the end of the world. Now let's just take a look at this. Just as, this is just a quick summary of the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 12, it talks about a woman. We studied that. And then about the dragon. And the dragon is making war on the remnant. And then in chapter 13, Revelation talks about a beast, an image, and a mark setting the stage for what's coming. Revelation 14 talks about the 144,000, and then it talks about this remnant, this people that are keeping the commandments, and they are preaching these three angels' messages to the whole world. It's obviously not real angels, but this is a movement described here, and they're preaching to the whole world, and they're warning about Babylon, the beast, the image, and the mark, which is what we just read about in chapter 13. In Revelation 15, seven angels prepare to pour out the seven last plagues upon those that get the mark, which is mentioned in the third angel's message. Revelation 16, the seven plagues actually fall upon those that get the mark, which is warned about in the third angel's message. Revelation 17 is about Babylon and her fall, and this is warned about in the second angel's message. Revelation 18 is again all about the fall of Babylon and her doom, and this is again warned about in the second angel's message. Revelation 19, Babylon is judged and Jesus returns, and that again is talking about the second angel's message and the return of Christ at the end of the three angel's messages. In Revelation 20, it talks about those who refuse the mark, they're resurrected, and they reign with Jesus for a thousand years. And again, it's that same mark that is warned about in the three angels' messages. So when you study Revelation 14 and you read about these three angels giving this message to the whole world about Babylon, the beast, the image, and the mark, what you are reading about is a central message that incorporates the major themes that are all over the book of Revelation from chapter 12 to chapter 20. Did you see that? This is a big time message. This is not just a little message over in a corner, but this is something huge, something tremendous, something that comes from God that must be given to the whole world prior to the coming of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Do you realize how important what we are studying is? This is just vital. I mean, this is about as important as anything that we can possibly, possibly study. Now, this three angels message movement must eventually be here on planet Earth. There's got to come a time when people around the world can actually start hearing the three angels messages. Isn't that right? In order for this prophecy to take place, this actually has to have a literal, actual manifestation down here in this world. And, I, and I'm here to share with you tonight the fulfillment of Bible prophecy that the three angels message movement is here. It's right here, right now, and I'm going to give you a little bit of background, how it got here, where it came from, and how it has been developing in the last hundred years or more. In the 1830s and 1840s, this is really when it began. There was a movement that started in this country. It was actually spearheaded by a Baptist farmer whose name was William Miller over on the East Coast out of New York. And William Miller began studying prophecy, began studying Daniel and Revelation, and this farmer became a preacher. He was licensed by the Baptist Church, and he began to travel around and preach from the book of Revelation. And this gave birth, actually, to a very powerful movement. In history, it has been called the Great Second Advent Awakening. 
took place in the 1830s and 1840s. As William Miller continued to preach, eventually hundreds of ministers joined him from different denominations. There were Baptist ministers, Methodist ministers, Presbyterian, Lutheran, and other ministers. And there were approximately 1,500 to 2,000 public lecturers that began to crisscross the East Coast and to spread out in different parts of the country, and they began to preach the messages of the book of Revelation, focusing on the three angels' messages and urging people to get ready for the coming of Jesus. And as this message grew, as these people got more and more excited and began to share, what happened was eventually they were given a nickname, and they, they were called the Adventists. Now, these were not Seventh-day Adventists. These were Baptist Adventists. They were Congregational Adventists. They were Methodist Adventists. They were Presbyterian Adventists. They were the word Adventist means they're waiting for the advent or the coming of Jesus. And this was an interdenominational movement of people focusing on the coming of Jesus and the messages that are in the book of Revelation. They began to study these things. And what did they preach? One of the main texts that they used was Revelation 14, verse 7. The Bible says, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him that made heaven and earth the sea and the fountains of waters. These Adventists interdenominationally in the 1830s and 1840s began to preach from Revelation 14. Now this is very significant. When you study history, and I'm telling you the honest truth, when you study history, the first angel's message, the second angel's message, and the third angel's message, these messages have never been preached in Christian history until the 1830s and 1840s. Paul didn't preach about the beast or the image or the mark. He didn't say a word about that. Paul didn't preach about the fall of Babylon because it wasn't time back there in those early days. When you go into the Dark Ages and finally the Reformation came, Martin Luther and Wycliffe and Huss and Jerome and Wesley and Calvin, none of them preached the three angels' messages. This message was not there. It wasn't time yet. And when you get farther down, finally you get to the 1830s and 1840s, and then for the first time in all of Christian history, people began to open their Bibles and started preaching from Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, 7, 8, 9, right down the line. And this was the first time in all of history, and they urged people to get ready for the coming of Jesus. Now, it was out of this movement, and this, as this movement continued and got bigger and bigger and bigger, Finally, there developed within this movement an organization called the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Now, again, William Miller and those early Adventists were not Seventh-day Adventists, but later on, a group of people organized into the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and that took place in the year 1863. Now, let me just follow along with you what we have just studied, and we follow the sequence of prophecy. We, we already read in Revelation 11:19 that the scripture predicts that the temple will be opened and the ark will be seen, right? And that implies people who see it. And that's what happened in the 1830s and 1840s. They preached on this text and they started seeing the ark. They realized the temple was in heaven, the ark was up there. And then as they realized that, as William Miller and these other Different people after that began to study these prophecies and they looked up and they realized the temple was there, the ark was there, and then they realized the Ten Commandments were there, and then they got to chapter 12 that talks about people keeping the commandments of God and they thought to themselves, look, if we're going to continue following the prophecy, then we should be keeping all the Ten Commandments. And so they started doing that. 
right? Because it's right there in the Bible. And as they continue to do that, and they realized the law is up there, and we should be keeping all the ten, then they went down one, two, three, four, and they realized that the fourth commandment was one of the commandments inside the ark, which was part of the law. And so what happened was this growing group of people, Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterian, Lutherans from different churches who were studying prophecy and who were part of this movement, when they realized the ark was there, the law was there, started keeping the law down here, eventually, step by step, eventually, they discovered the fourth commandment and they decided instead of just being Adventists, guess what they then wanted to become? They wanted to become Seventh-day Adventists because the Seventh-day Sabbath is right there in the commandments that's up in the ark. Did you see that? That is exactly, folks, how it happened in history that this whole movement developed. And it was right there in the 30s and 40s and 50s, the three angels' messages began to go down the runway and they began to gather speed and the movement began to take off and step by step by step, God revealed the prophecies to these people. And as they continued to study, once they started seeing the Sabbath, then they got back to Revelation 14 and they realized that God had a message, three angels, about the Creator, about keeping the commandments, and this message must be preached to the whole world. They saw that. So they realized, wow, the ark is there, we see it. The law is there, we should be keeping it. The Sabbath is up there, the three angels are here, and God's calling us to start preaching this. Did you see that? That's exactly what happened. And this movement started getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And right now, I tell you, it has grown a lot since the 1830s and the 1840s. There are literally right now millions of people all over this planet who are studying this message, studying this prophecy, and who are becoming a part of a movement that is predicted by Jesus in prophecy represented by three angels. It's my deepest conviction, and I believe this honestly and sincerely, with all my heart in the sight of God, I believe that the reason why there is at all a movement in this world called the Seventh-day Adventist Church is because in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ predicted that there would be a remnant who would see the ark, see the law, start keeping the Sabbath, keeping all the commandments, and that they would be giving to the whole world the three angels' messages right down the line, right before the coming of Jesus Christ. That is the reason why there is a movement in this world called the Seventh-day Adventist Church or movement because Jesus predicted in the Word that there would be a worldwide three angels' messages at the end of time. And if Jesus predicted it, when, you know, when's it going to happen? It's got to happen, right? It has to happen in order for prophecy to be fulfilled. And what's happening right now is Jesus himself is fulfilling his own word. This movement is exploding in Russia, in South America, in Africa, in the Philippines, approximately 2,000 people a day. In fact, I have a friend of mine named Harry Mohundo. He held a seminar, I think it was in Kenya or Nairobi, in front of two or 300,000 people at one time. He had a big, strong voice, and he had people a mile away and strong loudspeakers in order to reach all these people, and he was preaching the three angels' messages. Three angels' messages. I mean, this movement is growing. It's getting bigger and bigger. Now, what does all this have to do with prophecy anyway? Let's go back to Re or prophets. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation 12, verse 17. The title of our meeting is called Modern Prophets, and I'm building somewhere. I'm, I'm going somewhere with this, and you'll see where I'm going when I get there. Revelation 12, verse 17. 
The Bible says, not Steve Walbert, but the Bible says, the dragon was wroth with the woman, and he went to make war with the remnant, the remnant, there's only one, there's the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. The devil is making war on this remnant. He hates the remnant with a passion because he knows that when the remnant finishes its, its message, it's over for the devil. He knows that. Now notice it says that he's making war on the remnant who do two things. They keep the commandments and they have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now we know what the Ten Commandments are, but what about the testimony of Jesus Christ? What is that? Well, there's an answer to that found in chapter 19, verse 10. Let's look at Revelation 19, verse 10. Here is a biblical answer to that question. Revelation 19, 10. At the end of the verse, the Bible says, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is, what is it? It is the spirit of prophecy. Now, the spirit of prophecy is the gift of prophecy that God gave to the church. Remember that? That was one of the gifts, the gift of prophecy. And so what ha what's happening here is the Bible's predicting that there would be a people, the remnant, keeping all the commandments, and they would have the testament of Jesus. And here it says that testimony is the spirit of prophecy or the gift of prophecy. In other words, what the scripture is telling us, just like in the Old Testament, in the early New Testament days, when the law and the prophets went together, the same thing happens with the remnant. God raises up a remnant at the end of time. God gives them a message, which is the very heart of the book of Revelation, that brings all these themes together. A very powerful message to be preached to the whole world, and this remnant has the testament of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy, so the law, they're keeping the commandments, and they have the gift of prophecy also, so the law and the prophets come together in the remnant just like in the rest of the Bible. It's the same thing that happens. Now, if it is really true, as I have stated to you publicly in the sight of God, and God is here, you know, he, he's listening to what I'm saying. He knows everything I'm saying. And if it's really true in his sight that this movement, the Seventh-day Adventist movement, which honestly, uh, I'm just telling you the truth about this, there's no other movement on planet Earth. You look at those, three, those points over there on that board, those three angels' messages. You can go to Africa, Russia, South America, Philippines, China, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, and you will not find one movement on planet Earth outside of this movement that is specifically preaching those exact messages right now, all around the world. Nobody else, not, not one, and that's the truth. And if it's true that this movement really is fulfilling prophecy, God's prophetic fulfillment, fulfilling the words of Jesus, if it's true, then that would mean that the gift of prophecy must be in this movement, right? Because that's what Revelation says, that the remnant will keep the commandments, have the testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy. The gift of prophecy must be in this movement. If the gift of prophecy isn't in this movement, then this movement is not the remnant. Following along? Because that's what the Bible says. It's got to line up with scripture or throw it out. Got to line up with the Bible. Now, this is about to get very, very interesting. I'm going to tell you some things that happened to me. 20 years ago, I was searching 
I was looking up in a phone book trying to find a church. I went from church to church actually, was a rather confused kid. I was uh, still smoking pot, using drugs, and I told you my story the third night of the seminar called From Hollywood to Heaven. I was very mixed up, but God was working to try to bring me to Jesus. And as I started visiting Christian churches, I went from church to church to church trying to find the truth. And eventually one day, the Lord led me to visit a Seventh-day Adventist church and to just, you know, check them out and see what they had to say. So I went into church one Sabbath day and I began to ask questions and there was a man in that church, actually a pastor, his name was Pastor Church. And it, Pastor J.B. Church, that's his name. And he brought me into his office, he sat me down, I was a young 20 year old, still smoking pot, but trying to find the Lord, and he brought me into his office and he, and he started asking me questions. And I was telling him where I was coming from and I asked him questions. And at one point he reached up on a bookshelf and he handed me a copy of a book and the book was called The Desire of Ages. Now this is not the actual copy of the book that he gave me at that time, but I've got my own copy here, I've read it four times. Uh, this book, I didn't know it when he handed me a copy. He said, Steve, take this book, Desire of Ages, and read this, and maybe this will help you. And when he gave me the book, I didn't realize that the person who wrote this book was a Seventh-day Adventist, and that this person lived during the 1800s, that this person was part of the growing Three Angels message movement that went down the runway and began to gather steam to take off and start flying to the whole world. This person was part of this movement. And neither did I realize that this person, now this person's now dead, but I didn't realize that the person who wrote this book claimed, in the sight of God, claimed to have the biblical New Testament gift of prophecy that was to be inside the remnant movement. Now, I had no idea. So when this pastor handed me this book, he said, here, take this. This is a book on the life of Jesus. Take it home and read it. And so that's what I did. I went home and I began to read this book and I began to read my Bible and study the New Testament. And as I read this book, this book is the whole story of Jesus Christ found in the Bible. It just takes different passages of scripture and expands on them and goes into detail about Jesus, his love, his suffering, his power, his mercy, his grace, his goodness. And eventually I got down to chapter 74 of this book and this chapter was all about the Garden of Gethsemane. And when I got to chapter 74 of this book, you know, and I was still smoking pot and I was drinking alcohol and I was, hadn't fully given my heart to the Lord yet, but I was searching. And I was reading this book and chapter 74 was all about Jesus suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane and how he did this for me, how he agonized for me, how he, he sweat blood for me. And as I read about that and, and saw some pictures in here describing his suffering and began to read this in, in the Bible, you know, something began to really move in my heart and just urge me to give my life to this man showing me that Jesus was real. He loved me. He was suffering for me. He was dying for me. And he wanted me to be saved by the grace of God. And, and I'll tell you the honest truth, and I, I think I told you quite a bit of this during my testimony the third night of the seminar, that it was really discovering the sufferings of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. That was the scene that changed my life. It was right there that I made a decision. I was gonna give up my sins, turn from marijuana, cocaine, LSD, alcohol, and all kinds of other things. If there can be other things, yes there were. And to give my whole heart to Jesus Christ as my savior. And that happened to me because I read this book, this desire, which means Jesus is the desire of all ages. He's the desire of everybody's heart. If they really know what's in their hearts, he's the only one that can satisfy the soul. 
And that's what happened when I read this. When I got to the end of this book, it talked about the cross and how Jesus died on the cross for all my sins to save me by his grace. Now, I tell you, the person that wrote this book knew the Lord. Do you think the devil would inspire a book that would bring a sinner to the cross of Jesus Christ? What do you think? Not a chance. Not a chance. Now, when I was done with this book, I tell you, I was a different person. Steve Wahlberg was not the same Steve Wahlberg. <laughs> I was completely changed. And I thought, wow, that was so good. My life is now, I gave my life to Jesus. I said, Lord, come in, save my soul. I, I love you and I want you. And Jesus came in, forgave my sins, gave me a whole new life. And I thought, wow, you know, that book was so good. I wonder if the person who wrote that book wrote any other books. And so I found out, yes, that person did write another book. And here's another one called The Great Controversy. And what this book does is it picks up where the desire of ages left off. And it starts with the ascension of Jesus. And this book starts going down through Christian history. The Desire of Ages was a study on the life of Jesus. But this book, written by the same person, starts going through the, the history of Christianity. It talked about the early centuries and how the Christians spread out in the Roman world and how they suffered tremendously for their faith, how they were burned alive and eaten by dogs and lions and wild animals in the Colosseum and various places as sport for for Roman entertainers. And then as I continued to read, I got down farther into this book of history and it started talking about the Dark Ages and how the church rose up in the heart of the Roman Empire and actually changed from its original character as found in the Bible, the church that was in Rome, there was a metamorphosis and eventually persecution started taking place and those that called themselves Christians started persecuting other Christians. And I read about the little horn. I read about the woman of Revelation 17. I read about the beast rising up in Revelation chapter 13. And I, and I read about the martyrs and all the sufferings that the Christians now were going through, not because of the, the pagan Roman, Roman Empire, but now because of what was going on during the Dark Ages from the church that was persecuting other Christians. I read about this and it really moved me tell you, it really moved me. And then as I, as I continued to read, and you know, I like to read. When I get a hold of a good book, I mean, wow, this just uh, really gets me going. And I was reading, and I finally started reading farther down, and I started reading about the, the Protestant Reformation. I read about Martin Luther, who founded the Lutheran Church, and about John Wesley, and about Calvin, and Huss, and Jerome, and the, and the beginnings of the Presbyterian movement, and uh, the Methodist movement. And as I read about these things, I learned a lot. I learned an awful lot. Some people ask me, they say, Steve, where'd you get your education? You know, where, where have you learned all these things that you're teaching us in the seminar? Well, one, one place where I learned these things is not just through going to school, but I've gotten a hold of some good books that have helped me to understand history. And I read a lot of historical books, lots of different books. And I read about this, about the Protestants and how they left the Church of Rome and started their own separate movement. And then as I continued to read, and I tell you, I was just fascinated, and as I got farther down, eventually I started reading about Revelation chapter 14 and how prophecy predicted that at the end of time, God was going to have a people that looked up and saw the temple, saw the ark as it was seen, the scripture says. And then a remnant would develop on earth that would start keeping the commandments. And then this special message of Revelation 14 would be given to them, the message of the three angels and how these people in the midst of opposition and slander and falsehood and everything else 
because the devil's making war on them. I read about how this three angels' messages was going to grow and grow and grow, and eventually this message was going to be unstoppable because Scripture predicts it's going to be preached to the whole world, right? Every nation, tribe, tongue, and people telling the whole world that Babylon has fallen, telling the whole world, watch out for the beast, don't get the mark, keep all the commandments. And, and just like when I read about Jesus' suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane and I studied about the cross and that changed my life, when I continued to study and I started reading about these three angels in the book of Revelation, I tell you, something deep began to happen inside my soul. Something so deep that words cannot describe. I remember one time I was sitting at my dad's house on the couch and I was tossing back and forth, back and forth, and I was wrestling with the Lord. And finally I just called out, out loud. I said, God, all right, I'll do it. I'll preach the three angels' messages. If you want me to do it, I'll do it. And I made a covenant with God that I would be faithful and preach the word. And from that time, God has opened up door after door after door for me. He sent me to Canada, sent me to New Zealand, sent me to Russia, sent me to Pakistan. And he's brought me in cities all over America. This is the leading of God because I have tried to be faithful to his call on my life. I want to tell you something. I'm telling you this honest, honestly. These three angels' messages, they're, they're powerful. They're very powerful. I call it God's power message. And I would just urge you, even if you're still wrestling with these issues and if you haven't quite made a decision, you know, where you're going to end up, I would urge you, I would beg of you, please don't, don't ever fight the three angels' messages. Never. Don't ever do it. Because if you attack, if you fight the three angels' messages, you are fighting God directly. You're going directly against the Almighty. And I'm telling you that, honestly, it's a solemn warning solemn warning. And I've dealt with this myself. I've struggled with this and I finally decided, God, this is your message and I'm going to preach it. And when I read about this in this book, this great controversy, I felt this call that was so deep. God was saying, Steve, I want you to give this message. And I thought, me? You want me? Don't you remember, Lord, I used to go to the discos and dance all night and smoke pot and snort coke and use LSD. Are you sure you got the right man? You want me to preach the three angels? And he said, yep, you. So I said, okay, okay, I'll do it. And I've been trying to do it. I've been trying to do it. Near the end of this book, The Great Controversy, there's a chapter called The Scriptures, Our Only Safeguard. And I studied this and, I, and basically what this chapter is about is about how if we're ever gonna know the truth down in the last days, the only way we're going to know it is by studying very, very carefully our Bibles for ourselves. Here's a, just one quotation from the author of this book, who I'll tell you who that is before the meeting's over. On page 595 of The Great Controversy, this is what it says. It says, God will have a people upon the earth to maintain the Bible and the Bible only as the standard of all doctrines and as the basis of all reforms. Does that sound like a good statement? If you believe that, say amen. God's going to have a people that stick to the word, stick to, stick to what, what God says, not what all everybody else says, not what Babylon says or the image or the beast or whatever, but they're going to stick to God's book. And when I read things like this, I thought, okay, I'm going to stick to the word. And then eventually, like I said, I got to Revelation 14, 12, and it talks about people, a final people. Revelation 14, 12 says, here is the patience of the saints 
here are they that keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. And as I read in this book, I just sensed God was calling me to be one of these people, to be one of the people keeping the commandments down at the end of time. Now, do you think God was just calling me to do this? Or what about you? Don't you think God is calling us all? I mean, this book, honestly, this is not a Seventh-day Adventist Bible, is it? This is a King James Bible. And this King James Bible says God's going to have saints who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. It's right there plainly in Scripture. And I decided that I wanted to be part of this remnant, part of this movement, giving the three angels' messages. I wanted to be faithful to my God, faithful to my Savior, the Jesus that suffered for me in the Garden of Gethsemane and died on the cross for me and rose for me and went to heaven for me. That same Jesus called me to give the three angels' messages. Same Lord, same Jesus. It's exactly what happened. And that's the reason why I travel around and hold seminars. When I got to the end of the book, I read verse 14, which says, I looked and behold a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, in his hand a sharp sickle. So at the end of this book, The Great Controversy, which is just walking me through Scripture, pointing me to Scripture, impressing me with Scripture, I realized that Jesus was coming and the best thing for me to do was to get ready for the coming of the Lord. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Now, as we wind up this meeting, you're probably wondering, okay, Steve, you've told me about Desire of Ages, you've told me about Great Controversy, but tell me who wrote these books. Would you like to know who this person was who claimed to have the gift of the Spirit, which lines right up with the Bible? I'll tell you. It was a woman. Her name was not Agabus. <laughs> Although she's just as little known, but just as Agabus was unknown, but God really led through him, it's the same thing with this lady. And I'll just give you a little brief history of who this person was. Her name was Ellen G. White. She was a, a woman that lived in the 1800s. She was born in the year uh, 1827 on the East Coast in Maine, and she died in the year 1915. She was a little lady in the 1800s. Now, this woman received a call from God at the age of about 17 and began to write books. And it's amazing to discover that this little lady wrote more books that have been translated into more languages than any woman author who has ever lived in the history of the world. And that is the fact. Her books have been translated in over 150 languages. Uh, she's written all kinds of books about history, about prophecy, about education, about publishing, about raising children, about health, and about practical Christianity. Her favorite theme of all themes is the love of Jesus Christ. And that's really the theme of the book, The Desire of Ages. And that's the book that changed my life when I read that 20 years ago. That's why I'm a Christian, is through reading that book. She was known as the little lady who loved Jesus. Here's an actual photograph of her when she was very old, and this is in Southern California in the year 1906. She gave a, a little address, a, a speaking appointment, at the dedication of the building which became Loma Linda University. Loma Linda University was actually founded in Southern California through the influence of this lady. And today, Loma Linda University Medical Center is one of the most prestigious universities in the world. And it was founded through the influence of this little lady who believed in health, whose name was Ellen White. She died in the year 1915, and she is buried today in Battle Creek, Michigan, in a little cemetery. I visited that cemetery once. She's buried right next to her husband. His name is James, was James. And it was a very moving thing for me to be there 
and to realize that right here under the ground in Michigan where I was are the bones of a lady that God used to write a book on the life of Jesus that changed my life. Now, I don't worship anybody, any human being, and I certainly didn't bow down and worship those bones. So don't get me wrong, you know, but I'm appreciative for what the Lord has done for me through godly people that know Jesus Christ. Amen? I really believe that. I appreciate that. And I believe right now that she is one of the, one of the dead in Christ that is waiting for the resurrection of Jesus or the resurrection when Jesus comes down again from the clouds. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 22, verse 18 and 19, last chapter of the Bible. The scripture says, I testify to every man that hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add to these things, God shall add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Now this is the conclusion of the book of Revelation and what is it saying? It's saying don't add and don't take away from the things that are written in the book of Revelation. Do you see that? Now what have we just read in the book of Revelation? We've read that God's going to have a remnant. It's in this book. We've read that they're going to be giving the three angels messages to the whole world. It's in this book. We read that they're going to keep all the commandments. It's in this book. And they're going to have the testimony of Jesus. It's in this book. And we read that the testimony of Jesus right there on the screen, Revelation 19, verse 10, we read the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, right? It's in this book. And God says, don't add and don't take away from the things which are written in this book. In other words, let them stand as they are there. Amen? And what I've told you tonight is the truth. It's the truth right there. And this, what I've shared with you tonight, is simply another evidence it's another evidence that this movement is, in fact, truly fulfilling Bible prophecy, and it is, it is the remnant, the remnant church giving three angels' messages to all the world right now. The evidence is there. It's there for those that really, really want to see it. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 20 says, Despise not prophesying, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. So I encourage you to prove these things, to test these things. And if you find that what I've shared with you lines up with scripture, with the word of God, hold on to it because it is the truth. It is the truth of Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast with Steve Wolberg. We feel privileged to be a part of God's commission to share the gospel message with the world. You too can be a part of our gospel outreach team by supporting broadcasts just like these with your financial gifts. We strive to be careful with every dollar that we receive, knowing these donations are sacred gifts to build up God's kingdom of grace and salvation. To find other great resources or to donate online, go to whitehorsemedia.com or you can call us at 1-800-78-BIBLE. That's 1-800-782-4253. You can follow us on Twitter at Whitehorse7 or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Steve Wolberg. That's Steve, W-O-H-L-B-E-R-G. If you prefer to contact us by mail, write to Whitehorse Media, P.O. Box 130, Priest River, Idaho, 83856. Thanks for your support, and may God richly bless your day.